This episode is brought to you by the letter I and R. This is the Veteran War Gamer. I'm your host, Jay Arnold. Welcome to episode 65. In this episode, we're speaking with Mike Pinez of Firelock Games. Mike, how you doing? I'm pretty good, Jay. How about yourself? I'm, I'm doing all right. I, I guess we're we're both experiencing some... It's evening now, you know, regardless of when you may be listening. It is evening now, and we both were experiencing some issues with getting youngins to bed, it sounds like. But yeah. <laughs> That's part of part and parcel of being a dad. Uh, do you get to game with your kids? Are they of an age to appreciate gaming yet? Not just yet. Uh, my oldest is um, my oldest is four, and mm. he definitely has an interest. But uh, I tried to I tried to make like a real simplified game for him, but you know, just kind of makeshift stuff. But uh, mm-hmm. couldn't really hold his attention long enough. <laughs> but he did have fun playing with the pieces around the table so you know we made the most of it <laughs> yeah that's that's a good a good time to start uh my son's 10 now and he's definitely interested in gaming uh he's really into hero quest cool. um we've had a lot of awesome. fun playing that yeah we've had a lot of fun playing that and um he likes small figures i mean like smaller than you know gaming miniature figures mm-hmm. and so we've been kind of playing around with those and uh we kind of improvised a fistful of lead game yesterday using some little tiny figures he has and he that keeps his interest for about 30 minutes but man when we're playing hero quest he he gets into it and he's he's in it for the for the hall and yes i just he stays by the rules that's the main thing so that's awesome yeah i just uh, i have an old set and i have uh i just i just pre-ordered the uh the, the new one Mm-hmm. pretty interesting to see how that comes out yeah well i i'd i'd be more than happy to hear how it comes out i i was very excited uh with you know the pending announcement and then they announced what they were doing and i thought mm, that's cool but it's not for me you know it, it's <laughs> you know it doesn't look like they're doing anything new with the gameplay and the the aesthetic of the figures just isn't where yeah. i want it i'm not and, crazy about the aesthetic either but uh, it's really I was in I'm in mainly for the expansions and the dice. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> the plastic, the, all the plastic doors and stuff sounds good. Mine are all a disaster. So yeah, it's um, really I'm planning on using my original figures and pretty much the rest of their stuff. So well, fair enough. You know, it, I, I'm not going to say the stuff doesn't look good because the stuff does look great. It's just mm-hmm. I, I I'm a more I prefer. A more grounded aesthetic, I guess. I'm not. I'm not big on spikes on spikes on spikes. No, yes, I. I am 100 percent with you on that one. <laughs> so, but good luck to him. Uh, I know that when the announcement went out, uh, Hasbro was going to reboot uh, Hero Quest. There's a lot of excitement. There has been quite a bit of uh, gnashing of teeth and rending of clothing over <laughs> the fact that it's only available in Canada and United States to yeah. start. <laughs> I see. And that. I I don't know if that's just how their their pre-order system works or if that's a matter of some licensing deal or what, but I I got a feel for the people in the rest of the world. And even the people in Canada, that's a big it's like $135 just for the postage or something like that. Right. Yeah, that's uh that seems definitely pretty steep. I felt like the postage was pretty steep when I when I uh did mine, but you know, uh, the world being what it is right now, I think mm. um, they may be they may be projecting a little bit and just trying to cover themselves, which I can't guess I can't blame them for. So yeah, and, and we're going to talk about those types of challenges when we discuss your upcoming Kickstarter, which is going live tomorrow, the sixth of October. Correct? That is right. Yeah. Okay, and that's going to be for Blood and Plunder, but we'll talk about that in a little bit more. But first, I have to ask you the same question I ask all my guests the first time they're on. What makes you a veteran war gamer? Well, um, I guess the amount of years I've been wargaming would be the first mm-hmm. qualifier. <laughs> so I've been wargaming since the mid-90s. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Been wargaming since the mid '90s. Uh, I pretty much exclusively played uh, BattleTech and HeroQuest actually for the first like maybe ten or so of those years, okay. and then uh, from there I started. Once I once I uh, once I once I was willing to try something outside of that, it just uh, went went down like dominoes. I just started playing everything I could get my hands on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I you know I, re- I really wasn't aware of a lot of the games that my local game store pretty much was you know typical what's typical of a lot of places which is you know warhammer mm-hmm. and dnd and magic right? right uh never was super interested in warhammer but uh played their lord of the rings game which uh and played a, a few other games like uh, dust warfare at 1843 and mm-hmm. started slowly and did, you know flames of war after that you know just kind of rolled into a whole bunch of, of things and then from there next thing you know i had like 15 20 rule sets within the course of a uh, like a couple of years and a bunch of miniatures many of which remain unpainted to this day <laughs> and uh you know i guess that's i guess that's my qualifier hopefully that's yeah. good enough no absolutely 100 <laughs> that sounds very similar i i started a little bit before that but yeah those those mid to late 90s when i mean there were a lot of really great games that came out then like clan war for example yeah um, i remember that one. i remember seeing that one yeah yeah clan war was a lot of fun uh you know, you mentioned Battletech. There were a couple of different. Well, I guess you would have been playing right when the clans hit. Yep, right when the the clans, the actual Mech Warrior Two, was the thing. Uh, that got me that got me into uh into tabletop gaming because mm-hmm. that made me aware of the Battletech uh, game, mm-hmm. tabletop game. So that right. just sounded like the coolest thing ever to me. So. Yeah, that was that was an exciting time because there are a lot of companies that were trying to come out, you know, that put out their own box sets to compete with GW because, you know, this is the time when they had second and then third edition 40K, relatively close succession, mm-hmm. and then uh, fourth and fifth edition Warhammer Fantasy. And so, like I said, you know, Clan War was one example of a of a box game that came out, you know, mass mass battle set in a feudal east asia fantasy thing which i really was it, enjoyed. was it based on legend of the five rings i think it was yeah Is that right yeah okay cool yeah legend of the five rings rpg and uh mm-hmm. ccg so it had the different clans and the shadowlands and and all the rest uh see fasa had a box game called vor which had metal figures in it and resin scenery pieces um Let's see, Warzone. There was a Warzone box set which had plastic figures in it. Um, so yeah, it was it was an interesting time. There aren't, and I think actually all those companies <laughs> went under shortly thereafter um, because a yeah. box set is it's a huge undertaking. Not not that I have to tell you, but <laughs> yeah, especially in those days, man, it's uh, a yeah. it's it's a lot easier now than it was then. <laughs> mm-hmm. And. and and we are starting to see that a return to that type of business model uh, in the last, oh, I'd say probably 10 years with some other companies getting in on, on that action and actually making it work. Um, well, you mentioned Flames of War. Flames of War have had a, a couple of different box sets now, haven't they? Yeah, yeah and I think that uh, I think those box sets are really critical uh, to, to having a successful game almost these days. Mm-hmm. Um it's something I certainly appreciate as somebody who plays games. I like being able to buy a box and the more complete that box is, the happier I am because then it's something I can, you know, put back away in its box. And even if I never expand outside of it, right? Like I have, uh, I've got blood red skies. I've got the, just the core box for that. Right. But, mm-hmm. uh, it's, that's a really cool game, but I don't really ever have time to play it, but I do, you know, I think I've played it twice, but I've got everything in the box, you know? pull out a few of those planes and just play a quick game or whatever. And so that, that, that type of thing is really appealing and will definitely get me personally into a game. So I know if that's the case for me, it's certainly going to be true for a lot of other people. Yeah. And I think that there's a certain, there's a certain segment of the hobby that, and, and I've said, I've said this many times before, you know, the hobby is what the individual practitioner wants to make it right. So if a person just wants to get some models and get on the table and start playing, that's great. And if someone wants to take the time to research a particular unit or uniform style or vehicle camouflage pattern and paint it to that specific standard 
or to that specific degree, I think that's great too. And I think right. that, that box set approach that everything in a box, you need to play a game mm-hmm. is a great approach and it does speak to a certain segment of the hobby. And um, I'm sure you're aware, or I shouldn't say I'm sure, um, <laughs> you know, Little Wars TV recently had that video in which I will, you know, full disclosure, I am in that video that <laughs> talks about, you know, is the is historical miniatures wargaming in decline? Mm-hmm. And I think a couple different people said it a couple different ways that maybe it's not in decline, but it is definitely changing. Yeah. And I think that historical war games in box sets, or at least historically based war games in box sets, mm-hmm. is, is an indicator of that. Yeah, and those and in in historicals in general, I think that's been a bit of a mixed bag, right? I mean, there's some historical box games that have come out that personally, well, not just personally, but a lot of people you talk to will will tell you that wow, you know that 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 didn't come out so well. I won't name any names here, but the uh, but yeah, I think that's true, and I think that in general, I think war game design is uh it's, it's going to change uh, historical war game design specifically. And I think uh, just to go on one of my own, one of our own products is uh, Oak and Iron, which is our one 600 scale, uh, you know, squadron and fleet battle game. Mm-hmm. So that game truly, I mean, that's a, that is a box game in the, in the, in every sense of the word. I mean, you can open that box and be playing the game in 10 minutes, you know, uh, that's, which is the exact approach I wanted for that box, you know? And for that reason, we went with, um, remember the pvc plastic instead of hard plastic Mm -hmm. so that you could just you literally just plug the sails into the hole plug the ship into the base good to go you don't even need any glue there's one ship that needs one drop of glue and you don't actually even need it it's just to make uh, it's just to add an extra sail to make it look a little nicer but uh and that Mm -hmm. game and the approach for that game is it's it's kind of uh, I've heard a lot of people call it like X-wing for sailing ships, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which which is not the most unfair assessment. I mean, it's very different from X-wing, but uh, in in uh, in in presentation, it's it's very similar. Uh, so that game abstracts a lot of concepts, shrinks the planes. Typically, naval war games are played on gigantic tables, right? Like uh, you know, you typically go to a show, you see a war games table, you see like a this six foot by eight foot table, and you could you could barely even see the ships sometimes. When in an age of sail game, it's a little easier because you'll see the sails sticking out. But you know, right, right, all these big spaces and lots of room. So we've abstracted a lot of that stuff and shrunk it down. You could play you know an average game on a three foot by three foot table, or a three foot by four foot table, or even a four by four for a bigger game. But you know, we make it so that it's something somebody can play in their home. You don't have to go to a game store or a convention, set up a huge table, or have a big garage set up for it. And uh, and I think that's some of the stuff that uh, that that needs to really change, I think, in order to capture the the younger crowd. <laughs> no, I, I think that's a fair statement. And I think that, you know, the good thing about historical games is even if you do buy a box set for a particular game, you can use those miniatures with other rules quite easily. Of course. Yep. You know, and there are a number of different uh, age of sale games out there that, you know, that might be a great way of, of getting into it. And, and I do want to talk about each of your products a little bit more. Sure. Um, I, I think, I think folks might like to hear where uh, Firelock games got its start. So Firelock games. Uh, so the idea for blood, the Firelock games came from blood and plunder, mm-hmm. uh, which was our original game. And uh, I was playing one of the, when I, when I got into just a whole ton of games, one of the games that I got, I got really into because I've always had a, a lifelong fascination with anything having to do with the sea, but I loved especially the history of pirates and all that. And mm-hmm. I was playing a game called Legends of the High Seas, put out by Warhammer Historical. Mm. Uh, and I, you know, we my my local game store actually had a surprising number of people. We had like four or five people playing in a campaign of that. And I was, I mean, I just loved the. I never had, I had never considered, you know, twenty-eight millimeter scale naval war gaming before right right <laughs> so i mean i just thought it was super cool and uh just being able to work on my ships and and have all that and just the the you know the spectacle of a 20 millimeter ship is just with crew aboard is just amazing mm-hmm. right so uh that game you know as, along with warhammer historical went the way of the dodo and as and that the, the you know the, the campaign ended and that was the end of it right that nobody could people moved on to the 
next thing. And um, and I was thinking, man, there's there's no other real alternative to this out there right now, you know. And I decided to just take a crack at writing some rules. I said, you know, I know how to sail. I know a little bit about the history. Of course, I realized I didn't know anything about the history once I really started digging into it for the game. Right. But that's another story. Uh, but I did learn a lot of it. But anyway, <laughs> the uh, so I you know I, I started. Um, I just started working on it, giving it a try, and little by little, you know, I would I would mess with it every now and then. I had I was actually going. Uh, I had I had uh, I had been laid off from my job and started going back to school, so I didn't have a lot of time to work on it. But you know, I little by little pieced it together, and at one point, it got it just got to a place where I was actually you know really happy with how it how it was turning out. And um, while playing a game of BattleTech at our local game store with uh, one of the guys out that I played with over there named Alex Aguila who was the uh, co-founder of Alienware. Mm. He we were talking about the show Black Sails that had that was that had just started. I think it was like 3 episodes in at the time. And uh and he was saying, "Man, I really wish there was like some kind of pirate war game or something like that." I was like, "Well, as it turns out, I've been working on one. Do you want to try it?" And he said, "Yeah, that's great." And so we played it. And, you know, we just played it to play it, but he was like he he loved it and he was saying, "Man, this is this is really good." This is, uh, you know, I've, have you ever thought of maybe like publishing this, doing something with this? And I said, I said, yeah, you know, I was thinking about maybe putting it up on Wargame Vault or something, just, you mm -hmm. know, let people play with it. And he's like, no, I was thinking, you know, I've, he said, I've always ever seen, he was retired at this time, right? He had sold right. Alienware off and, um, and he was saying, you know, I've always thought of starting a, a game company, you know, but I've never, I've just never had the, the right stuff to put together, but this could, this could be a really good launch point and i said well it, you know that sounds interesting <laughs> you obviously know a thing or two about business so if you think this could work let's uh, let's talk about it and a couple of weeks later we were um uh, we sat down in his office at his home and we uh just literally googled how to make miniatures <laughs> and from there got started piecing things together little by little made a lot of mistakes figured things out but you know nobody um unlike a lot of other uh, game companies out there <clears throat> which come from uh, typically people are coming from other larger game companies and splitting off and doing their own thing. We just kind of came from nothing, just uh, an idea, <laughs> an idea and, uh, and a dream, I guess. And then right. uh, next thing you know, we had a, the game pretty sewn up. We had, we had our, some sculpts, we had art, we had photography, we had miniatures and uh, we did, I did our Kickstarter our now infamous Kickstarter and then uh, started from there. And then that's where we led us to where we are now. Okay. Well, you can't you can't call something infamous and <laughs> not go into detail. So I think we need to hear more about this infamous Kickstarter you been, you just mentioned. Well, it's infamous to us just because it was uh, you know, we we got we were way more successful than we planned on being. And uh, as a result, we had to just kind of work around our inexperience <laughs> and learn stuff and 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 make uh, all kinds of crazy decisions and just uh, it was just a lot of work so it's infamous on our end really oh, uh we learned a lot of lessons and but you know it was, a, it was a lot of work to get that thing out and get it done we start we were scheduled for a uh, 2016 december delivery date and i think it was like we shipped out we started shipping out the first orders the last like three days of december so we just barely were on time right. <laughs> which is pretty good but we were like dead set determined to be on time and we did something wrong like we we set uh, like we, we started shipping in the U.S. first, thinking we could get out of the way quick, and then ship to overseas, and that ended up letting the overseas backers, you know, get stuff really late compared to the U.S. So we learned right. a lot of little things like that that you think make sense at the time, then you realize don't make sense at all. So yeah, well, I mean, the fact that you were able to over overcome those hurdles and that adversity, and, and you're still going, and you're about to launch another one. I mean that it. it it, it wasn't they weren't fatal errors obviously no 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 nothing i mean there most mistakes can't uh can, can be worked around with just a lot of effort and work and <laughs> time just put the time and the in the effort into it you could pretty much fix most things right uh, and in some cases it takes some money but most times you know some work will get it done but um uh, yeah we we uh this is our fourth kickstarter now that we're starting and this okay. is um and this is our this is our most uh, expensive project we've ever done. So, uh, I'm, 
you know, I'm I'm excited. I'm excited to see how people react to it. And and I know, I mean, I know our we have a we have such an awesome community. I know our whole community is going to show up and support it. So I'm not worried about funding, but I'm curious to see how much we can get out of this thing. How many stretch goals we can get because our stretch goals are, you know. These molds are really expensive. There's a lot of development, a lot of engineering that goes into it. It's not just the cost of the mold, but we don't want to just put together some, you know, some crappy plastic kit that's impossible to put together and nothing fits right. You know, we want to make sure it gets done right, which takes time and takes money. So we got to have to, um, the stretch goals are going to be spread out. So hopefully we can get a bunch of them in there because I'm excited to get a lot of these things done in, in plastic sooner rather than later. Right. Absolutely. Now, I think, I think we should probably... We'll, we'll get down to each game individually, but Blood and Plunder, pirate game, uh, mm -hmm. skirmish level game, it looks like. You got, what, maybe yeah. 20, 30 figures per side? Yeah, it typically goes about 20 to 50. Depends. Yeah. And um, I haven't played it yet. I, I, I'm willing to do so. I, I am a big fan of, uh, you know, we message back and forth beforehand. I am a big fan mm -hmm. of, of this style of gaming, uh, in, particular, in particular, the the age of piracy in the Caribbean and the Spanish main and, and all the rest of that great stuff. Right. Uh, and so um, I, I did take a look at, you know, the figures that you've got and you've got some small ships to, to tootle around on and, and that sort of thing. And mm -hmm. I got to say most of your, most of your unit packs, at least for the, these metal figures, you're looking at four figures for 12 bucks. And yeah, if people want to get in their Wayback Machine, I distinctly remember buying four packs of figures for Clan War in 1999 for 12 bucks. You, <laughs> yeah. have, you have 20 year old pricing, sir. <laughs> well, I, I will tell you that um, that was one of the things that we've kind of no. I mean, that pricing has to change. A lot of a yeah. lot of our cost has gone up. Um, but our main thing is we've wanted to we didn't want to do it until we had an, another alternative that would keep uh, the pricing in that range so the plastics are going to do that right so with plastic kits that'll allow us to the metals are going to go up and it's going to allow players to have an alternative so that if you don't want to get the metals and i think a lot of people prefer plastic anyway uh metal something we plan on continuing to do but it's the cost of it has to go up because it, it we do struggle as a result of that because that is a, a, low, a low price point on a lot of that stuff that um and our cost has gone up since too which doesn't help now the reason we could do them a little cheaper than most people too is just because we make them all in-house so we do it all ourselves we do all our own casting and all that so that does help but it's still cost of metal fluctuates and there's times where we do okay and sometimes where we don't do as well so right. Okay, so I think I think we might need a, a quick rundown of you know just how blood and plunder works. You know, just real basic. You know, take us through a turn. You know, activation, movement, combat, that sort of thing. If you don't mind. Sure. So blood and plunder is a um, alternating activation games, and one of the things that's uh, critical to it is the activation system. So. Each turn, you're going to draw, you start out a turn by drawing a hand of cards equal to the number of units that you have, right? And these are regular playing cards. So okay. like, you know, uh, you know, just like poker cards, right? And then, uh, of course, we make some, we make our own that you can use, which are a lot easier to use for the game. They have all the information, all the numbers are changed and stuff to make it, to make it a lot easier to play. But regular cards work. So when... So you're going to get this hand of cards. So each time you go to, to activate a unit, there's an initiative for each unit activation. And that initiative is essentially playing a card face down from your hand. Your opponents can do the same thing. And then once you both have a card down, you reveal. Whoever has the higher suit, and we have our suit order goes uh, from <clears throat> the, the highest being a spade, followed by a heart, followed by a diamond, and then a club. However, has the higher ranked suit will go first. Mm -hmm. If you have the same suit, the number on the card will break the tie. Now, higher suited cards will give your units less actions. Lower suited cards will give your units more actions. So, for example, typically a trained unit and their experience is either inexperienced, trained, or veteran. Typically a trained unit, which is the average that you'll have, is, uh, is going to get one action on a spade, whereas they'll get three actions on a club and two actions on the cards in between. Okay. So you have to balance out 
going first with uh, your action management, right? And then, um, so once you have your card chosen and you've gone, so whoever has the higher suit is going to play a unit first. And then you're going to use those actions that you have on your card to take actions with your with one unit that you've chosen. And that's going to be, you know, move, shoot, reload your guns, rally your unit to take off fatigue points, etc. So you keep going back and forth. So once you've activated your, your unit, then your opponent's going to do the same. Then you're going to go to the next card and repeat the process. And it moves uh, pretty quickly. So as you're moving throughout a turn, the things you're going to be doing are, so as you're going to fire at units, uh, the closer you are, the easier it is to hit. Uh, anytime you hit a unit, a unit can potentially take fatigue. And fatigue is one of the critical systems in the game. It basically represents morale and um, fat actual fatigue and different things like that. So you can actually give yourself fatigue to get extra actions or sometimes to do a defensive attack if somebody's charging you or something like that. And as you gain fatigue, you lose actions on the cards. Uh, so you can take rally actions to get rid of fatigue. At some point, you can become shaken. And if you're shaken, you get no actions. Um, so from there, you know, you go back and forth. It's a it's a D10 system. So you're rolling to hit on on with D10s. Mm -hmm. Typically rolling one die per model. And so if, if you get hit, then you have a save number that you can roll. Um, <clears throat> depending on whether or not you're in cover. Or and then melee, you always get a save. And if you're not in cover, then you always just get a save of nine or ten. So basically it's uh, very good to be in cover. And uh, so you keep going back and forth with that. If you have ships involved, you're gonna, you're, each player's ship is going to move three times, unless it's anchored, throughout the turn. On your first activation, your last activation, and any activation in the middle. And the timing of when you activate your ships and how you activate units aboard the ships is really important. So that's kind of, uh, you know, that cannons function the same way. We treat ships as buildings in the game, essentially. So they follow the exact same rules as buildings, except they have some rules for movement as well. So uh, basically, once you have two ships grappled together, they become a large building with multiple rooms, right? Each section of the ship being treated as a room. And then you can move around, you can charge, you can shoot, you can do all the things you normally could in a building. Uh, so that, that helps the game be uh, pretty, pretty streamlined with the ship combat so that you can get off of your ship, you can go ashore, you can move back and forth. You know, and that's uh, don't want to talk too long on Blood and Thunder so we have time for the other games, but that's, that's the gist of it, more or less. Oh, and I have uh, one... You have your commander, of course, who has, uh, whenever his unit is activated, he's always assigned to a unit. He can give out command points to let units take actions outside their turns, which is pretty critical, especially a lot of times for your sailing ship, when you're going to have to do some maneuvers like tacking or, you know, when you're going upwind or, or wearing, you're going downwind to try to get some extra turns and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. that's a good uh, breakdown of the game, I hope. Yeah. Well, that, that's, that's definitely right up my alley. Um yeah, you know, I mentioned that uh, before we before we started recording that my family likes going to Disney World, and you know, like many others, one of my favorite rides is Pirates of the Caribbean. So, right, <laughs> <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely one of those things that uh, I I would certainly guess my my son would be very interested about this. If he saw it, and my wallet wouldn't wouldn't like it. But <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. Yeah. Like that would that's a, that's that's for darn sure. Yeah, well, the, yeah. This, I mean, if you've ever been to our Plunder Plunder uh, Buccaneer across the Spanish main Facebook page, I mean, some of the setups that people have there are just incredible. Like the mm -hmm. tables, you could that that's one of the one of the best things about this game has been the community that has come out of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, we've we've been super fortunate to have just some amazingly creative people who just come up with the coolest stuff. I mean, some of the some of the ships that people have rigged up and done the tables, the, the painting, I mean, everything has just been phenomenal. It's just really cool. Yeah. That's, that's really, really cool. Um, and it's just a huge range of, of models, both, uh, both the figures as, as well as the ships and it's really spectacular. Um, yeah. I, I think this is probably a good place to talk about the, the Kickstarter that's going live tomorrow. We're recording on Sunday, the 5th of October. Mm -hmm. The Kickstarter goes live tomorrow at on the 6th. So by the time I'm going to try to get this out, probably the, on Thursday. So uh, what, uh, no, wait, my dates are off. Today's the 4th. It goes, yeah, today's right. the 4th. So it's going on mm -hmm. the 5th or the 6th. The 6th, yeah. So okay. October, uh, Tuesday, October 6th at 2 p.m. Eastern, I believe. Okay. Well, 
I won't quite get it out in time for that, but pretty pretty shortly after. So, so it'll what, be live when you're here listening. <laughs> yeah, by the time by the time you're listening to this, I will have a link in the show notes for the Kickstarter, and it will be live by the time you're listening to this. So, um, so what is in this Kickstarter? So what this so in the past, all of our models have been resin chips, uh, with the exception of one laser cut chip, uh, resin chips and metal pewter models. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing in this Kickstarter is we are introducing a new range of multi-part plastic miniatures. In addition to that, we're also moving the timeline of the of the universe, if you will, forward into the 18th century. So we're going to cover the beginning of the 18th century, basically Queen Anne's War, and then the uh, the outbreak of piracy in the Caribbean immediately following that. Mm-hmm. So those are the two big themes. You also have some other things in there because... Uh, Ultimately, and I didn't touch on this earlier, and I should touch on it because a lot of people, our marketing is very pirate-driven, but the reality of what Blood and Plunder really is is it's a colonial skirmish game because we cover a lot of stuff from King William's War and Queen Anne's War and stuff like that, like the French and Indian Wars and a lot of colonial battles between, you know, that happened in the Caribbean islands and the struggles between the Native Americans and the Spanish in South America and in Central America and stuff like that. So a lot of that stuff, uh, like one of the things that I've, that I've been working on a lot lately is uh, a lot of the border raiding <clears throat> between the French, English, and Spanish in the early 18th century uh, between uh, you know Florida, what's Charleston, and will become Georgia, and, uh, and the French in Louisiana, right? Mm-hmm. And the Spanish mission system and all that. But anyway... Uh, to, to, to roll on with that. So the plastic models, 18th century. Um, and, and then of course the, the, the star of the show for this is a two player starter set, right? Which will have two, uh, sloops in it. So you have two ships, two 28 millimeter full size ships, nice big models. You'll have two crews to mend them and, uh, they'll have, you know, you'll have the rule book, you'll have your activation cards, you'll have D10 dice, you'll have punch out boards for like rulers and markers and the turning gauge for the ships and, all the tokens and stuff you'll need to play, a paper mat with a C on one side, land on the other, 2D punch-out tokens, you know, the whole nine yards. Basically, everything you need to play in that box except for a little bit of plastic glue to put the models together. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that includes, of course, all the guns for the ships and everything else. Uh, now, that that starter set is actually themed around Blackbeard's final battle against Robert Maynard, where he ultimately meets his end. And... <clears throat> which is perfect because historically they had two, they had very small crews of less than 20 each. Uh, so, and you're getting about 13 per side in that, in this uh, battle. So it's on the smaller end, but it's, I mean, it's still a nice, good game to get you. It's very, very similar to the demos. If you ever, if you ever played a demo at a, sh- at a show of a ship battle, it's very similar to that demo. So uh, it's, it's a perfect jumping off point for one person because there's enough models in there to, put together a nice 200 point army which is the standard um, along with one or two of those ships in there depending how you build it or it's a great set for two people to learn the game together great then that's uh for the most part what's in there there's a few there's a few like nice things for the kickstarter like the uh we have we're doing a new leatherette uh rule book if you've Mm -hmm. ever seen our original one it's it's basically the rule book with an expansion all together uh, if you ever saw our original one for the 17th century, I mean, that's something we people, everybody who has it raves about it. And it really did come out amazing. It's like one of the nicest gaming rule books I think I've ever seen. Uh, a lot of people would say the same. So uh, there's that. There's a unique deck of cards that's coming out for the Kickstarter. There's some uh, there's a there's a plunder box that's going to be added to most pledge levels. That's going to give you some extras as the project goes. So there's a lot to be excited about in this one. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to it. And the the tooling for for plastic injection molded kits is not cheap, so I got to. Nope. <laughs> I I I'm safely say that you you've definitely done your homework on this, and you this is going to be you said your fourth Kickstarter, so you're no stranger. Fourth, yeah. And yeah, we did do, uh, and our previous one for Oak and Iron was in plastics. It was a different type of plastic, but the tooling process is the same, more or less. Um, and you're right; it's it is a. Uh, Tooling, especially for hard plastics, is uh, very is very costly, mm-hmm. especially in our case because we've decided that since we again, in the past we did this not knowing what we were doing, just jumping into stuff and learning. We decided to uh, bypass that route this time, and uh, we hired a company called Bippy, and they do really excellent work. They've they've they they are producing. I don't know if I'm allowed to say who they're doing work for because I think some of it's under NDA, but. Uh, yeah. 
but they've they're doing work for a lot of games that are very popular right now some newer games that are all in hard plastic um and the quality is phenomenal and they but uh, you know they are on the higher end of the pricing scale you know because they're the other company we did oak and iron with is on the lower end and we could go with them but they're a nightmare sometimes to work with so <laughs> Uh, we decided to go with the guys who were the most professional and had the, the resources to get it done and done quickly and properly. And, you know, they, it's great because they instead of me having to hound them, they send stuff back to me like, hey, we could make this better by working on this here, change that there. So that's exactly uh, that gives me a lot of confidence that we're going to get this done really well. And this is going to be a super nice product at the end when it's all said and done. Well, that's really it's really exciting to hear. That's you know, the thing is plastic you know hard plastic kits have been a game changer for the hobby because not only are they they're easier to work than than metal figures um to say the least uh in many cases you know it, it's pretty easy to get a to get a failed uh to get a failed uh molding in a out of metal you know yeah everyone's got you know those figures out there that have like some weird conglomeration sitting on the side of the figure but that's relatively rare in plastic so yeah much much easier to you know much easier to work the, the individual models but then again at the same point you know it's it's a lot more expensive to to get those to get those molds done so it's you know you know a company is really working to get into the the next level if they're looking at plastic that's for sure so yeah, and we definitely are, and that's um, it is a it's a challenge for sure, but it's it's also really good for the game and the style of the game itself, because there's just so many options, especially with the with the sailor units and stuff. You know, there's just so many different ways they could be equipped, and and you could run them. The, the plastic just makes a lot of sense for them. It's just gonna be it's gonna be easier instead of having to make you know a, a whole bunch of different sculpts. Uh, you know, and tons of mold and a whole bunch of skews and a whole bunch of crazy things. We could just do this one set that covers a whole bunch of stuff. Right. So, and then it's, you know, there's a lot less explaining of people what they need to get, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, it just, it makes the game more accessible and easier for people to play and adds more stuff to it at the same time. So it's right. a, I think it's the, the right direction. Excellent. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing how well it does. Uh, again, if, if you're listening, this sounds interesting to you. The link will be in the show notes. And uh, I gotta say, pledge early and pledge often. Uh, let's <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> a moment, <laughs> absolutely. Let's take a moment to. You mentioned Oaken to take a look at some of the other games. You mentioned Oaken Iron, sure. And that is a straight up ship to ship combat game, right? And you said one six hundred scale, right? One six hundred scale, yeah. Okay. So we went uh, we went bigger than typical. Uh, again, this that's part of the part of the attempt to appeal to the uh, to a younger crowd, to a non-historical gaming crowd, right? That's that's a big part of our of what we do. We want to get, we want to make these games be more accessible to a, a more mainstream crowd, right? And one six hundred, I came up with one six hundred actually because I was using the the old um, the old what's that game? Uh, the the collectible card one. I think it was just called Pirates actually. Mm -hmm. You know, you bought a little pack of cards, you built a little model ship out of it, right? And uh, it looked, it seemed to me like those ships were pretty close to one six hundred scale, and that had a lot of uh, of mass appeal. So we wanted to do something similar, but obviously with you know real models, right? And um, and obviously you know a, a game, a rule set that's not fantasy, something along the lines of historical. And then of course we wanted to do the uh, late eighteenth, I mean uh, late seventeenth and early eighteenth centuries. It's a, a period that's not well covered by uh, by wargaming. I think in general, it's there's very few rule sets for that out there. there. There's quite a few popping up now, of course, but um, I think that has the visual appeal that um, that it's you know you it's those those big high stern castles and all the the the, the baroque decor all over the ship, right? I think that's uh, kind of what people expect out of a sailing ship, thanks to you know Pirates of the Caribbean and films and stuff like that. You know, people expect a big ornate ship, uh, whereas in the more popular Napoleonic era, you don't really get that. You get a lot more 
streamlined, uh, elegant designs that are more efficient rather than made to look ridiculously impressive, right? Uh, but plus, the I think the the era for gaming in general is more interesting because you have a balance of power between all the big nations, right? The 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 Spanish could actually fight the British and have a chance of winning, mm-hmm. <laughs> unlike in the Napoleonic times. But to go more into the game itself, the, it's a one six hundred scale game. It focuses not so much on since Blood Plunder does a pretty good job of handling ship-to-ship combat, right? So between individual ships. That's kind of our thing with Blood and Thunder. Um, so Oak and Iron, we decided instead should be designed to handle those larger engagements that you might want to play. So you really need at least a very bare minimum of two ships aside for the system to really work right. And the system is designed around, uh, again, a hand of cards. This is a, But this is a uh, proprietary deck of cards designed for the game. Okay. And the deck of cards that you have, it's rather not, it's not really a deck, it's a hand of cards. You're going to build a hand of cards, really, is what it is. Because you're going to have between five and eight in your hands, more or less. And what those cards represent is they represent several things. So they represent uh, signaling and communication throughout the battle. It represents national uh, or just uh, doctrines in general of the day. Uh, it also represents... A, a pre-battle plan because you're going to make this hand before your game. It's part of your fleet building. So choosing your ships and then choosing the cards you're going to use to control your 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 fleet is is pretty much the foundation of the game. So these cards, it's the same same kind of deals. Blood and plunder. You're going to play a card face down, and then higher initiative number is going to go first. Uh, as you uh, so and, and as you play the game, you go into several subphases for each ship so when you activate a ship there's first there's a move so there's the act there's the initiative phase i should rewind it make this clear sorry there's an initiative phase we're going to play these cards right okay. and then um so you play your initiative card that initiative card lasts the whole turn so now from there you move into the the ship movement phase so then you're gonna each player is going to alternate moving a ship one at a time so when you move your ships you could roll some dice to try to take some skill checks to maybe speed up or slow down temporarily uh You'll then do your move. You'll take, and then you'll take a single crew action to either reload your guns, repair something, change your sail setting, something like that, right? So once everybody's moved, then you go into a combat phase. In the combat phase, you're going to roll dice against each other. You're going to again alternate back and forth, one ship at a time. Uh, any boarding actions will also be will also be uh, done during this phase. And the game's pretty simple and straightforward. There's not a lot. Uh, it's you know, it's move your ships, take your actions and attack each other but there's a lot of little things little subtleties that are in the cards in the uh in the in the dice and the way they interact with everything right so the dice are proprietary dice and they've got various symbols on them so they have muskets pistols cannons Mm -hmm. there's a skull for like a critical mark and a sail and then and and a cutlass as well so if you are at the the range ruler split into three main bands it's the pistol shot musket shot and cannon shot so based on the range you're at, those are the symbols you're going to be able to hit on, right? So it's it's kind of cool because it gives you some some you're gonna even if you're not aware of the historical terms, you're going to be speaking in uh, naval terminology as you're playing as you discuss ranges, and what you can hit. And obviously, closer you are, the more you're going to hit and stuff like that. And um, and for the most part, that is the gist of the game. And the the, the initiative cards are going to really add a lot. So it's going to let you do things like. Uh, like certain, for example, the English have a card that'll let them uh, just reload all the guns on their fleet. So just boom, clear them out because they were very efficient with their reloading. Uh, the pirate faction has a card where they can uh, raise false colors so they can't be identified for one turn. You know, mm. they make you question whether or not you can attack them unless they get into a certain range. Right. Um, the Spanish have a bravado card where once a turn they could ignore their fatigue. So again, this game operates with a fatigue system where. And that's kind of how we handle the, the the fatigue represents crew and equipment, damage in the game represents the ship actually falling apart, right? And as you take fatigue, you'll lose dice from your pools, and um, and stuff like that. So I've been uh, I've been so focused on blood and plunder lately that I'm trying to think about oak and iron and remembering random things as I talk about it. So, <laughs> but uh, even though I only played like a month ago, but <laughs> it's, it feels like forever with all that's been going on. Sure, sure, sure. But um. But that's the gist of the game. So it's got a little bit, it's got 
it's got just enough depth to give you all the important bits about sailing. You know, the we we simplify some of the points of sale to keep it um, to keep it easy, but also realistic. So one of the things we do is we take out of the, the aspect of quartering, which is a very popular thing in naval games. But uh, realistically, when you're when ships are fighting in line, it was pretty insignificant just because of the way you could uh, you could uh, you could adjust sail and change things and stuff. It, it would have been a significant thing in a chase kind of battle, but that's not something that you're typically going to do on table on a, on, a, on a tabletop board game because it's just really not that fun to just chase each other around and not really fight. <laughs> so we'd like to focus more on the fighting itself. So, you know, basically the wind's either behind you, ahead of you, or you're in the wind's eye and you have to, you can't, all you can do is turn more or less. Right. So those are some of the, some of the little details about Oak and Iron. Great. Um, I noticed there's one more pirate based game, Scurvy Dice. Right. Yeah. Pirate Scurvy Dice. Mm-hmm. And just real quick about that. Cause it looks like it's sure. just, just itself, right? It looks like a little uh, kind of intended as like a filler game, something you play before the rest of the crew shows up. Yeah, that's uh, so that's a that's a, not a war game. It's not right. historical by any means. That's a dice rolling game, more or less, right? So it's a it's a pretty cool game where what you're doing is you get each player gets ten dice and you roll these dice and you build a ship out of the symbols. You get uh, sailing ships and cutlasses for crew and cannons and parrots, which are like wilds. Mm-hmm. And uh, based on how you build your ship, you're racing toward an island that has treasure. And if you get to this uh, first one to get to this island, gets to take their pick of the treasure. If anybody, and of course, as you're doing this, you're shooting broadsides at each other. You're trying to board each other. Uh, you are <clears throat> you're fighting duels. If you tie, if you get on the island at the same time, and if you end up uh, in in throughout all these various battles and things that you put yourself into, if you end up losing all your crew, if there's any scurvy out there then your crew will end up getting scurvy, which makes you actually lose points. So mm. if you get gold, you gain points. If you get scurvy, you lose points. And it's, nice. you know, it's a game you could play in about 20, 30 minutes. And it's, uh, it's a really fun game to play. It plays two to four players. And it's just a fun game to play, you know, again, just like you said, to fill in some time or, or even for a family game night or something like that. I've, uh, we play it camping when we camp, we do a lot of camping. Well, we try to anyway, used to before firelock. <laughs> and, uh, but it's one that we try that we, that comes out frequently for that sort of thing. Neat. Now it looks, is it, is it, are my eyes deceiving me or, or is the mat actually printed on cloth? It is. Yeah. So it's got a nice cloth mat, which is in the form of like a treasure map. And, um, it's got the, some captain cards, which give you some abilities and the, it's got there's a ton of dice in there. I think there's like 10, 20, 30, like 50 dice, I think, 47, something like that. There's a so it's a it's a pretty nice we tried to make it as premium a product as, as we could, like we do with everything else. So yeah. that, that kind of attention to detail, you know, just simply printing it on a piece of cloth, I mean it, it immediately gets you into the theme and yeah. you're drawn into it. And I, I like seeing I like seeing things like that. Um, you know, because you know, when it comes to a board game or dice game, card game, what have you, mm-hmm. somebody at some point is probably going to just strip it down to just the mechanisms and say, "Okay, this is how the game works." But at the end of the day, what you, what I need yeah. to really draw me into the game is is that consistent theming like that. And I think it's great that you went the extra mile because it could have been real easy to just do a paper or or even a a card, you know, card. Yeah, stock. you know. You really don't even need the mat at all. It's just, uh, it's really just a scorecard, but it's a really nice one. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's, yeah, it's, this, this might, you might have an order here after, <laughs> after we get off. The, we get off the, I'll take uh, what I can get. Thanks. So, <laughs> there is one last game that we'll touch yes. on real brief Blood and Valor, a World War One game, it looks like, set in right. the latter part of the war. Yeah, it covers the whole war, really, but yeah, it's uh, the focus is more toward the later part of the war, yeah. And is that uh, pretty similar in, in mechanisms to Blood and Valor, or is that, uh, or not Blood and Valor? Uh, Blood and Planet, right, yeah. I gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. It's actually, so it, it's based on the bones of Blood and Plunder. Uh, it's more or less, the, the vast majority of the game engine is the same. Uh, but there are some things that change. So the range bands, at which you know your range, the your accuracy is affected, are a little bit longer at six inches, where blood and plunder is four. 
uh, instead of using a card initiative mechanic, the, me the initiative mechanic is similar, except that it's, uh, again, instead of card driven, it's, it's driven by a point bidding system. So your, each of your armies generates uh, a number of points based on the amount of units you have, the type of units you have, and your commander. And you'll be able to bid zero to six points each turn in order to see who can, uh, who's going to go first. I'm sorry, each activation at each turn. Uh, and then, so that's, it's a similar idea, but just done with tokens instead of cards. Or it doesn't have to be tokens. It's a little more flexible. You could do dice, you could do tokens, you could write it secretly on a piece of paper, you know, whatever you want to do. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, obviously, there's no reloading necessary or anything like that. So we, it gets rid of those mechanics. And, um, and uh, but yeah, otherwise, it's very, very similar to Blood and Plunder. Armies are built the same way and stuff like that. And it's it's a really cool game system, and so far it's been. Unfortunately, it came out just like Oak and Iron. That and Oak and Iron both came out right in the middle of the pan, or right at the start of the pandemic. So, a couple of people got to kind of play a little bit just as it was coming out. But now people are starting to finally play it now, yeah. and you know the the reviews are coming back really positive. Uh, so that game is picking up a lot of steam as we're going forward. Outstanding. That's great. Uh, now I, I should did... mention. Sorry, I, sh I should mention quickly because of what I was talking about, Oak and Iron, uh, just because of all the emphasis we've been putting on getting ready for the Kickstarter. We had actually sold out of Oak and Iron, which is, you know, incredible, uh, a couple months ago. And we do have it back in stock now. So um, the Oak and Iron core set, the dice, a bunch of stuff that we didn't have are back in stock for anybody who's interested. <laughs> Outstanding. Um, now, I did notice you've got... Uh, U.S. figures, German figures, and French figures, and included in the French figures are the uh, Harlem Hellfighters. Right, yeah. So those figures are actually not made by us. Um, this is a, so the Blood and Valor was a, was a, uh, an experiment, if you will. So we want, we have a lot of people around us who have kind of made tweaks of different systems based on the ideas that are found in Blood and Plunder. And uh, we thought, why not just publish some rule sets, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's there's especially rule sets for for which there are already a ton of figures on the market. It doesn't really make sense for us to invest heavily in that, right? World War One being uh, one of those, right? right. Uh, but we partnered with a company called the Phalanx Consortium to design the miniatures, uh, and they did <clears throat> they did a pretty good job. We're, I'm happy with the way they came out, and they have French. They have, like you said. Uh, Americans and they have Germans and the British are coming next. Much oh, to the chagrin of many of, of our of our British friends who who are offended that we did not put the British in first. But the reason the reason being, of course, is that there's a ton of British options out there right now. Not as much Americans. So right. we weren't just being uh we weren't just uh, focused on. It. But to, to go back to your Harlem Hellfighters, right? So they're um, <clears throat> you know as a as you may or may not know, they fought primarily with the French. And uh, they're kind of like the elite French, one of the elite French unit options. Mm -hmm. And they and the figures came out really nice. I think those are my favorites of the sets that have come out so far. Yeah, it just looks really spectacular. Um, the train models or the yeah the train model, train board, whatever term you want to use that you've got in some of the photographs looks absolutely spectacular as well. Cool, thank you. Yeah, we had one thing we were very fortunate to have is a very good photographer. He does some excellent work and. Uh, and I, I contributed a little bit on that one. Some of the some of the smoke, there's actual smoke in some of the uh, in some of the pictures, and that was uh, I, I was sitting there with a with a with some pipe tobacco and just blowing smoke into the table, and it ended up looking really cool. <laughs> there was there's a uh, at a game show in <clears throat> convention in Kansas City in like. 90 or 91 i remember going to it and the guy had brought one of the guys who ran a game there had brought a uh like a fog generator to put on the table mm -hmm. and it looked really cool and then he about halfway through he ran out no <laughs> fog generator was introducing too much moisture and all of his terrain was, uh. based, was based on uh artist board and oh, so during wow. <laughs> the game and he, he I've regretted that decision, but it looked, it looked <laughs> cool while it lasted. I bet it did look cool. Yeah, See, if he would have just used real smoke, it would have been fine. Yeah. 
the veteran wargamer does not endorse the use of tobacco products. <laughs> well, it doesn't have to be tobacco smoke. You know, no, I, light a fire or something, I guess. You know. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it looks like you got a great, great slate of games there, Mike. Are there are, are there plans for anything in the future? Any other games that wants to get Blood and Plunder? <clears throat> kickstarted is there anything in the wings that you're thinking about or yeah we've got a handful of projects that we're juggling around in the background um some things that have been so we have a we have a a, a mass battle sort of system for pike and shot that somebody has been working on that uh that is that is pretty fairly well developed at this point uh-huh. and i'm hoping might see a 2021 release we also have another game that's uh taking a pretty far we're going a little bit beyond historical on this one, uh, going to prehistorical and doing a, uh, it's a Neanderthal period kind of game. So prehistoric hmm. uh, skirmish game. And it's pretty cool as you could actually play the, you could play Cro-Magnon, Neanderthal. Uh, you could also play like packs of Sabertooths and things like that. And, and you know, it's going to be kind of a campaign driven thing and stuff like that. And that's pretty cool. We also have a science fiction um some science fiction stuff in the works for naval that could or could not come out in 2021 but i think it's looking more like 2022 right now um and then lastly is the the the, my my sort of side project that i've been working on for a little while which is a a game called blood and plunder frontiers Mm -hmm. which is a smaller scale uh a, a much smaller scale uh kind of adaptation of blood and plunder <clears throat> that's focused more on smaller like foraging parties and and war bands and things like that that's going to use like you know four to ten models more or less okay. and keeps a lot of what's in the original but also just simplifies it and just makes it into a much faster smaller scale game so you can play like on a two foot by two foot board wow. uh, still maintain some of the ships and boats but obviously only on the smaller end you're not going to have enough models to crew like a frigate for example but uh, you know, barks and sloops and canoes and piraguas and things like that will still be done, and it's gonna have a very it's gonna have a pretty heavy focus on French and Indian War kind of stuff, right? So okay. like fur traders and and uh, explorers and things like that, and it's gonna be tied in again to a campaign system. Uh, it's pretty much along the lines of uh, you know colonial American uh, Mordheim, if you will. So okay, that's kind of the that's kind of the approach. That sounds great. Yeah, this, this this entire slate of games you have looks fantastic, and you're just gonna add to it. Makes it's pretty exciting. You're definitely gonna be one to watch in the future. And uh, yeah, like I said, I, I think that scurvy dice is yeah. I, I'm pretty sure scurvy dice is gonna get ordered tonight once we <laughs> once we get done. Uh, Great, get done. Recording. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> that's I think that's gonna be the type of game that. Uh, my son's really going to be into so. Oh yeah, I, it, yeah. It's it's pretty easy to play with kids of uh, almost any age. <laughs> yeah. So. If if we're not careful, we'll end up with a lot more pirate games. Uh, so <laughs> it's, just, it's a fun theme, um, especially I think if you take. Eh, you you could do you know strictly historical, but you can also do a little bit more fanciful. You know, like yeah. I mentioned. Pirates of the Caribbean, the the movie franchise now, not just the ride. Yeah, um, I I will note uh, that they they did change the ride recently. I don't know if you've ever been on it, but oh yeah, I mean living so close, we you yeah. know go to Disney. I wouldn't say frequently, but pretty often, yeah. every couple of years or so. So my wife is a big Disney fan as well, so uh, she gets us out there as often as she's able. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they they did. They did change, you know, changing, change your perspectives and, and changing social pressures. They did change the Pirates of the Caribbean ride where yes, I did they, see that mm-hmm. they, they took out the scene where they were selling women to the various, you know, as an auction to sure. uh, the pirates. Mm-hmm. They replaced it with, you know, buying, you know, auctioning off luxury goods. And one of the women that had been one of the uh, lots for sale is now a pirate herself. Right. Yes, I saw that. A very fancy, a fanciful one, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It's so. uh, <laughs> yeah, eh, changing times. It is what it is. I think it's kind of cool that the ride evolves. I think there, it's uh, I think some people were kind of upset about it because they want to, they want to preserve the exact experience that they had with like their children and stuff. You know, I can kind of see that. But uh, you know, times change, and I think it's kind of cool that it adapts. So you want to go and see how it changes and how it goes. They added 
Jack Sparrow to it, you know, not that long ago and stuff as well. So, you know, little things have changed on it slowly throughout time. Yeah. And it, it does speak to, you know, changing social sensibilities. And, and I have to note that, you know, it, it might not be too far of a stretch to add, you know, you know, a pirate game published 20, 30 years ago probably wouldn't have had native representation like Blood and Plunder does. Right. Yeah. And that's, um, that's actually something that I, that I really, that was actually really important to me just cause, uh, you know, we, uh, one of my make my biggest sources is, and he works along with us is a historian by the name of Benerson Little. And I, mm-hmm. if you're, if you're into wargaming and you're into pirates, you, and you haven't read the sea rovers practice, you absolutely need to, because I mean, it's just like, there's no other book like it out there. Like most, you read a pirate book, it talks to you about like, the history, the social aspects, kind of why they were pirates and what happened, how they got there. But what Benerson Little does is he really breaks down how they approached uh, combat and warfare, right? The ways they fought, their tactics, uh, the types, the reason they did, the chose the ships they chose, how they used them. In fact, you know, these all these little nitty gritty details that war gamers just love. And all that stuff, of course, was influenced in Blood and Blood there. So, but in reading his works, um, you know, I've just found out about all these other really cool groups and, and, and unit types that I would have just never heard of before, right? Like you think about uh, you think about typical pirate battles and you either think people either typically go with pirates against redcoats or pirates against, you know, Spanish dressed up in conquistador armor, right? Uh, but there is just so much more uh, variety, like the like the one of my favorite ones is the lanceros that we have in there, right? Which are typically black and mulatos, sometimes free, sometimes slaves, mm-hmm. um, that fought along with the Spanish. And they were, uh, they all they would arm them with was with like half pikes or, or lances, right? And they were on foot. They were they were basically fighting guerrilla style fighting on foot with just lances. So they come out of the trees and and when um when the pen and venables expedition uh tried to take hispaniola uh the the lanceros that were the lancero militias that were there were one of the significant uh forces attacking the the british that were that were there and just ambushing them in the woods just attacking them you know just skewering them with lances and disappearing back into the woods you know so this that all these kind of really cool details that we discovered we're just, I mean, I, I don't know how it's been left out of other things, but it's just so cool, you know, the stuff like that. And then the, all the Native Americans that were out there, the way they fought and the, how, how varied and diverse they were, despite being really similar culturally. And then, you know, the, the, the all the some a lot of smaller groups that were out there that people didn't know that, or not that people didn't know, but a lot of people aren't aware of like the, um, <clears throat> the, um, the uh, oh my gosh the, uh, the the Swedish colonies in North America for example so we cover those cover those a little bit the Scottish colonies in uh, in Darien in in Central America and in and in South Carolina the uh, uh, on Saint Thomas the uh, uh, the the Danes had a colony in Saint Thomas that was like a pirate haven you know just a bunch of stuff like that that's that's not really well known and I'm just I'm really excited to cover it and have it be part of the game. Yeah, that, that's super cool. And, you know, providing those additional options and providing that wider look, you know, outside of what we'd stereoty- stereotypically expect in a, in a, in a pirate game. Right. I mean, it definitely lends itself towards, you know, not, not history inspired, but, you know, a, a his, not, not a historically, uh, what's the term I want to use, you know, not just, historically flavored but you know an opportunity to actually explore history in, in your game so yeah definitely that's always that, an important aim for us for sure oh yeah i, I need to stop talking and look at your website because <laughs> hey and i've got too many projects as it is so feel free <laughs> <laughs> take all the time you yeah, need on cool. there <laughs> Well, I guess I should, if I'm going to order anything, I better get on top of it because you just said your metals are going to be going up. So, <laughs> well, it'll be, it'll be a while, but okay. I got a little bit of time anyway. Yeah. So, 
Well, well, Mike, I think we covered it pretty well, unless there's anything else you wanted to add. Uh, no, not really. I think we covered everything, and um, this has been a fun chat. Hey, I appreciate you coming on. And uh, folks, like I said many, many times in this episode before, the the link to the Kickstarter, which is going to be starting on Tuesday, the 6th of October, uh, will be in the show notes. It will be active when you are listening to this, unless you are slow to the uptake, in which case it'll be over when you're listening to it. But <laughs> it'll it'll be out there regardless. So, and if it's over, um, it'll probably still be it'll probably be in pledge manager phase or getting there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So pledge early, pledge often. And Mike, thanks so much for taking some time out right before the big kickoff to to chat. And I, I really appreciate the work that you guys are doing. And it's it looks like. Uh, like I like I've said before, it's a fun slate of games. It looks like, and we'll uh, we'll get in one for sure. So, yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed talking with you, Jay. Hey, thank you, Mike. All right, have a good and as always, oh, go ahead. No, no, one sorry. Way. I was gonna say I was. I almost forgot to plug all our websites and stuff. So, uh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. If you could just go to so if you want to check out some of our stuff, our full range of products is available at FireLockGames.com. And of course, we're actually, all of our games are in distribution, so you can get them at most of your friendly local gaming stores. Of course, always do that first. And um, be sure to check us out on Facebook. We have uh, several, all of our games have their own groups, so you can just look up those respective games, but Blood and Plunder is Buccaneering across the Spanish main. Uh, Blood and Valor is Blood and Valor uh, Players Group, Oak and Iron Gamers Group. You can find all those on Facebook, and we are pretty active on there. We also have a forum on our website in the community section, which I always keep track of at least once a week and check in. So there's some activity going on there. So feel free to come by and chat with us and see what we got going on. Well, thanks again, Mike. And again, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me. And those of you listening, as always, if the wargaming you're having isn't any fun, you make it fun. That is all. Developer War Gamers copyright Jay Arnold 2020. Music Atlantica 5. Speed limit 35. Courtesy of freemusicarchive.org.